Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 27. Dr. Niyati Sharma, vegan dermatologist, on the connection between diet and skin. When it's dinner time, I got something you should try. It's crunchy, green, and yummy, and it's about to blow your mind. It's low on calories, and it looks like many trees. When you're having dinner with me, broccoli. Dr. Yami Kazorla Lancaster, board certified pediatrician, certified food for life cooking and nutrition instructor, certified well coach, and passionate promoter of the power of diet and lifestyle in preventing and reversing chronic disease and bringing joy and longevity into our lives. This podcast is focused on plant based nutrition, habit formation, behavior change, and motivation so that you can have the tools to live the best life possible. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and I hope that you keep coming back as a regular listener. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Welcome back to Veggie Doctor Radio, everybody. I am so excited for you to hear this week's guest, Dr. Niyati Sharma, who is a fellow of the Australian College of Dermatologists. As part of her training, she spent a year working at the National Skin Institute in Singapore, gaining added experience in Asian skin diseases. She was also awarded an Eddington Scholarship, which enabled her to travel to St. John's Institute of Dermatology in UK, a world-renowned pediatric dermatology center. She's a published author in international dermatology literature, including the Australian Journal of Dermatology, and has presented her research at dermatological conferences. She is also part of the expert group panel for a recent dermatology therapeutic guidelines. I got to catch up with Dr. Sharma during her training as a getting her fellowship in pediatric dermatology, and we had a fantastic conversation. So I really hope that you enjoy it and learn as much as I did. I have to apologize. It, at some point, it got a little doctory because I just couldn't resist picking her brain about all kinds of different dermatological things that I come across as a general pediatrician. But I think it will be helpful, and I think that you will enjoy it. Before we get to the conversation, I wanted to remind you that you can find more of my work at VeggieFitKids.com and on Facebook.com forward slash VeggieFitKids. Please follow me and please um, like my page. That helps me a lot. It helps more people find my work and learn about this for their children and for their families. In addition, if you don't mind subscribing to my YouTube channel, that would be very helpful. That's also Veggie Fit Kids. I also wanted to tell you about two other things that you might be interested in. On the Veggie Fit Kids website, there is a tab that says eCourse. 
we have released a new e-course called Intro to Plant Power Rainbow Recipes. Now this is an interactive course that is meant to be taken by school-age children as well as their parents together, like a family activity. It has recipes, it has activities, it's got nutrition information, but I also threw in some lifestyle things about exercise and mindfulness regarding food. I really think that you'll enjoy it. And as a listener of Veggie Doctor Radio, I'm going to give you a coupon for $10 off. Now, once you buy this course, it's yours to keep forever, and you can download the components and keep the recipes and everything. So once you buy it, it's yours forever, but you can have $10 off of this course with the coupon code VDR, like Veggie Doctor Radio, the abbreviation VDR. So go to VeggieFitKids.com under eCourse and check that out. And the second thing is that we are going to be having a seven-day salad challenge starting April the 16th. And I'm really excited about this. I think this is going to be so fun. And it's going to be conducted on mainly Instagram, but also Facebook. And we will have the landing page ready for that pretty soon. So please like me and follow me both on Instagram and Facebook. And that's on VeggieFitKids. And we will have the link so that you can sign up and be part of that challenge. There will be free giveaways. We'll have some challenges for posting your salad pictures with the hashtag Dr. Yami Salad Challenge. I'm really excited, so please look out for that. And thank you all for being loyal listeners of Veggie Doctor Radio. I hope you're enjoying it. Please remember, you can always email me if you want to give me feedback, any experts, or uh, authors you would like me to interview or any topics you want me to cover and I'm open to all of that. Tell me what you like, what you don't like, what you want to hear more of, less of. Thank you all very much and now on to our guest. Welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio and I want to give a very warm welcome to Dr. Miyati Sharma who is a dermatologist. I am so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for being here, Niyati. Thank you so much for having me here on this channel. Thank you. Well, I found you actually from a little article. I think it was on the PETA website. Mm -hmm. Then they had talked about your Instagram account. And I said, oh, a dermatologist from Australia. How cool is that? So then I looked up your Instagram account and... Uh -huh. I'm just going to tell you, your Instagram yeah. account is beautiful and it makes me hungry. Okay? So, <laughs> I, I, I'm glad. Some people need to take responsibility for what they post because all day long my stomach is growling looking at pictures. So thank you so That's much for point. showing us how amazing and delicious a plant-based diet can be. But I thank just want to jump right in and I want to ask mm -hmm. you about your plant-based journey. How long have you been plant-based? Why mm -hmm. is it important in your life? Okay, so I turned, firstly, I turned vegan about four years ago. Uh, my brother is an abolitionist vegan, so he turned vegan a few months before I did, um, convinced my parents to turn vegan, and then tried to convince me, and I, would, I said, how can I give up cheese? Like, that I can't do. But my last block of cheese stayed in my fridge for four months. I did not open it. Um, I couldn't just learning about the treatment that the animals go through just even to provide us milk. Um, and then um, basically four months later, I turned vegan. And initially I felt 
quite strange, you know, having this name next to me and going to meetings and, and requesting vegan meals. I think it was such a, uh, I didn't, I, I sort of thought, what will people think of me? Um, but I think more importantly, it was for the animals. So that was number one, I did, I changed for the animals and then for the environment. And then about a year later, I was traveling in Japan with a friend of mine and we were eating our way through Japan, eating all the vegan delicious food. And I came across this vegan cheese cafe in Kyoto um, and it's owned by a plastic surgeon. Her name is Dr. Suzuki and in my broken English, uh, Japanese, I asked her if I could meet her from her staff. And so she came down from her busy clinic and we ended up having dinner that night and the next night and she introduced me to being plant-based. So in that one year, I had absolutely no idea. I thought I was doing the right thing, eating vegan food, of course, and um, uh, eliminating all animal products from my life. Um, completely even you know clothes and other um, things but I had no idea that there was another level of um, of being you know vegan which is more plant-based and how it has an, a positive effect on our health so she introduced me to the China study and Dr. Cadwell Assistant and uh, introduced me to the plant-based conference that happens um, every year in, in California. And uh, that's how my journey started. And then I ended up going back home to Melbourne, finding a plant-based doctor, going to his seminar. And I was literally shocked. I was like, what? I can't eat like half the things that I'm eating still because it's not good for me, even though it's, you know, it's labeled vegan. Um, and I had noticed that, you know, my health wasn't the best at that time. I was studying a lot for my dermatology exams. I was a resident at that time. So my lifestyle was terrible. And then I was eating things that I thought were fine because they were vegan. I was eating Oreos and chips and things, which I was not eating beforehand. But because I turned vegan, I was like, why not? I can eat them. Um, but then when I spoke, when I learned about being whole food plant-based, it changed my life completely. I mean... Uh, my acne, I had acne myself, it disappeared, I lost a ton of weight, I felt better, more energy, I felt happy, I felt great within myself. And, and then slowly through books and meeting all these prominent doctors, that, you know, Dr. Cadwell, um, Dr. Colin Campbell, um, even um, the, um, Dr. Robin Chutkan, who talked a lot about the gut microbiome, she, she really influenced my life and it, I actually stopped drinking coffee because of her book so uh, I think it's been a slow and steady journey of learning um, and it's not that I've changed my diet overnight it, it definitely was one step at a time I mean I stopped eating oil at home about a year, six eight months ago so it was like a slow journey I mean it's been a progressive thing so now I've been plant-based for three years vegan for four years so uh, yeah, I would never, never, never go back to my previous lifestyle ever. Oh, that's a great story. So uh -huh. how old was your brother when he went vegan? He was, so he would have been 24. Mm. My parents were in their fifties. So they're, de they're, they're crazy vegans. Um, wow. Definitely becoming plant. They're completely plant-based as in whole food plant-based now, but I'm still struggling a little bit with oil um, but we're, you know, the entire family is organic and as, as healthy as we can be. And, uh, coming from an Indian background where food is everything, um, and, you know, it's very emotionally connected with so much in the culture. It's been a, 
a gradual and amazing change. We've, we've adapted all recipes to become plant-based. So we're, um, hopefully one day you'll see a cookbook from us. <laughs> oh, that would be fabulous. I love Indian food. And yeah. would you say that you had to sacrifice the deliciousness of food when you made the change? No. I mean, I have to clarify, I was always vegetarian. I was, I've never eaten really, I've tried meat, but I've never really had it as part of my diet. Um, so some would say that was easier transition, but still difficult because I mean, as we know, uh, cheese is so addictive with caseomorphine. But um, I feel like I'm eating more incredible dishes now than ever before because I'm you know, finding new vegetables, new fruits. I'm trying new nuts, new uh, legumes. I'm, I am sort of, I've become so involved in what I eat um, that I have the, you know, the amount of stuff that I eat now is so much more than I used to eat beforehand. I think you just get used to a habit and you don't think. Once you start thinking, you really make a, a, a choice of, oh my gosh, I can eat so much more now. I can try new things. Um, so I think in terms of taste, I think I eat more tasty food than I ever did before. Um, but having said that, my taste buds have changed. I mean, I, I tell my patients all the time when I was 20, in my mid twenties, I would hate having a salad. It would be something that I would force myself to eat. And now I crave it. I mean, I can't, like if I don't go a day without eating something raw, I, I, I'm lost. So I need to eat healthy food. And that's because my body craves it. I agree with you 100%. In fact, Veggie Fit Kids is going to be having a seven-day salad challenge in April. And I was telling my colleague, my um, director of social media, how the same thing happened to me, that once you start integrating the healthy foods and some more of the raw foods, you do start craving it and you oh my feel gosh. funny if you don't have it. Mm -hmm. And it's very difficult actually to go to restaurants sometimes and get a sufficient mm -hmm. quantity of vegetables. You know, yeah. like vegetables is just like a little afterthought, you know? And so uh -huh. sometimes it's so much easier to eat at home because you are able to incorporate all of those delicious flavors and colors. And, and I'll just go back and talk about your Instagram account because mm -hmm. if anybody wants to go look at the beauty of what <laughs> Miyati eats, just go look at her Instagram account because it'll make you drool <laughs> for sure. And look, I don't always, I, I, the reason I started this Instagram was because my patients would always say, but what do I eat? Like, what do you eat? And I was like, wait a minute, I'm going to start showing you what I eat every day. And so I do put a very accurate amount of stuff that sometimes I don't eat healthy. Um, mm -hmm. And that's okay. We're human beings. We're not going to eat 100% healthy all the time. I know there are people that are so whole food plant-based that they don't eat outside of this oil in their food. I've definitely noticed since I've taken oil out of my diet um, that when I do eat at, outside and it's got a lot of oil, I just simply cannot eat it. It's just mm -hmm. it's, my body rejects it. Um, but I can do a little bit. And there are days when if I'm traveling and I'll try a, a vegan burger, or, but it's not something that's part of my staple food group. I just, my body can't take it and, and it will show on my face. I'll, I'll break out. I'll feel horrible, lethargic. Um, and that's why I started the juice fast because I was away traveling for two and a half weeks. And, um, obviously you can't, you, you know, you're, you can't sustain what you eat at home all the time that I was like, I need my body. My body's telling me I need to stop. <laughs> 
So you need to do a reset. And I agree it. with you with that too. And that's what I teach my, my patients and my families is that it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Mm-hmm. I, I will not give up donuts. I will, I'm not going to say yeah. I'm never going to have a donut again. I mean, there's some delicious vegan gourmet uh-huh. donuts out there. And, but whenever we get into the habit of eating these healthy foods at mm-hmm. home and in our normal environment, mm-hmm. it really does end up being 80, 75, 80% of the time that Absolutely. we're eating healthful, health promoting foods so that we can occasionally uh-huh. go out and have those foods that are treat foods or joy foods. I, I would disagree with that saying of treat foods or joy foods because I, my, I've changed the way I think about food and because I have a lot of, um, I think Australians are very different to Americans in terms of um, Australians tend to eat a lot at home or bring their own food for lunch because it's very expensive to eat, you know, three meals a day outside, which I've definitely seen that difference here where it's much more cheaper to go outside and eat something. um, And it's fast and convenient and people are working a lot longer hours here. So I definitely notice that. But one of the things that I started saying to a lot of my patients here and and my colleagues and friends that I've met here is that the my body is my temple and it's my time I am I'm when I cook my food it's a process of self-love it's when I show my body I care and I love it and I show it self-respect the most the highest self-respect that I can show myself is through what I put in my body and so by cooking myself um or eating healthy, I'm actually showing that to my body that, you know, I respect you, I love you. um, And I thank you for your, you know, what you do for me every day, day in, day out. So it's more like a spiritual journey in a sense. And, and if you can switch that mindset, then you're not going to go for the fast foods, because fast foods are abuse to your body. Absolutely. That's beautiful. So basically, what you're saying is, think of your everyday health promoting foods as treat foods. Those exactly. are the that bring you and joy and health. Exactly. And when you go outside and eat something that isn't that healthy, then that's not a treat food. That's when you're abusing yourself in a little way, but it's okay. You can do that. You Everything is in balance when you're eating healthy. Um, I don't believe in balance in terms of, you know, having eating sugar and, and, and I think that's hard. You, you have to give it up if you're going to give it up completely. Mm-hmm. Um, but balance in health is very important. Oh, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Well, since you mentioned it a couple of times, what does our diet have to do with our skin? Is it relevant at all? Absolutely. So many ways you can be. I mean, it depends on if you don't absolutely have nothing wrong with you, no skin disease whatsoever. Um, We know that there are studies showing that even having a high processed sugar diet increases your aging process. So the rate of aging um, fast, you know, it worsens over time. So if you want to look healthier, if you want to look younger, um, I suggest removing sugar, processed sugar out of your diet completely. So that's number one. Um, We know that eating things like flax seeds, um, which have omega-3s in it, um, are really important for decreasing inflammation and roughness and smooth and improving the smoothness of your skin. So the appearance of the skin improves with time if you incorporate omega-3s in your diet. And that comes mainly from flax seeds and chia seeds, but flax seeds in general, like a half a tablespoon a day. Um, But when you have conditions, first and foremost is acne. I mean, the literature, I mean, we all have to practice evidence-based medicine at, at, at a level, but 
unfortunately, as we all know, that studies in nutrition aren't always the best and sometimes are biased and sometimes not worth the effort that's put in. It's very hard to do a nutrition randomized control trial. Um, so the studies show that for dairy, it's the skim milk that's not good for you. But in my own personal experience and my patient's experience, it's all dairy. Dairy has like multiple factors such as um, what causes insulin growth factor one to increase in our body. It causes insulin resistance and then it has the hormones from the mammal as well. And all these three things actually impact our um, our body's hormones and affect those that um, the androgens or the the hormones that affect this at the skin level. So um, I I guarantee um, almost all the time, unless you have you know PCOS or polycystic ovary syndrome or you have um, a hormonal balance imbalance that might be congenital, it's um, most often is caused by a diet and removing, I, I, I don't say stop your treatment. I say supplement your treatment by reducing or removing dairy. I mean, if you can remove all dairy, your skin will improve within a few weeks. I mean, I, when I ring my patients back for results for starting medications, um, they've said already to me, like within two weeks, they, their skin is clearing up. They can sense the inflammation goes down, the amount of pimples they get reduces within two weeks. I've had a patient who's had big cysts on his skin all over his body, you know, chest and face. He couldn't go on isotretinoin, which is a vitamin A, because he was, contraindication was depression. And um, I could only put him on antibiotics at that stage. And we know it's not great for cystic acne. Told him, um, I explained to him about going off dairy, which also includes, you know, looking at processed foods, which have milk, solids, casein or whey protein, uh, which are in absolutely a lot of things, you know. Um, and his mum came back and said that within a month, the cysts went, they all disappeared. Like the cysts completely disappeared in a month. And I wish I'd kept some photos of him because he was my worst patient in terms of acne. And uh, all I did was antibiotics and off the dairy. And uh, seriously, antibiotics don't help in this case, usually in, in cystic, fibro uh, cystic um, acne. So um, I say to my patients, you can you improve the appearance of your skin by just removing dairy because it's so it's there's so much inflammation within it and of course you probably get this question a lot like where do you get your calcium from then if you're not having dairy and i'm sure you've addressed that in the past so i won't go into too much detail but obviously you know we have to address that with the patient say well dairy isn't a source of calcium and you need to get your calcium from where your dairy cow got its calcium from which is green leafy veggies so Yes. No. Yeah. Beans and greens. Well, that exactly. story, that story was great. Just gave me chills because, <laughs> you know, as a dermatologist, how impactful it can be to somebody's life, especially teenagers that are going through that phase of adolescence, their appearance. And if yes. they are able to take control of their mm -hmm. acne and get to a place where they feel proud of their skin, that can change the course of their life completely, the way that they oh, see themselves, sure. their self-image. Mm -hmm. But do you get resistance from your patients whenever you mention it? I know that teens especially, because one of the favorite food groups of all kids, especially teenagers, is pizza. You know, it's like how, how kids bond. Pizza and fried mozzarella sticks, you know, that's just a very, very common <laughs> teenager bonding ritual. So do you get pushback or resistance from your patients? 
Well, just yesterday, I got a patient said that he's uh, mostly off all his dairy and um, he's using alternatives to, you know, um, dairy free alternatives, like, because, you know, we, we address, so I usually ask them what is the most favorite food that they like and can we try and find a substitute for them? Um, I always give out a substitution list. So, you know, what are your different ice creams you can buy? What are the different dairy, uh, non-dairy milks that you can buy? What are the cheeses that you can have? Um, and then I try and, you know, I, I try and be on social media as much as I, much as I can. So I try and find out, you know, if there's any Domino's pizza might have their new vegan cheese pizza. So, you know, I say you can go and eat pizza, just get the vegan one. Um, well, these are the places where you can go and eat vegan pizzas. Um, try it, you know, you never know until you try it. But most of the kids that have terrible acne are so motivated because of those peer pressures of looking a certain way that they will try absolutely anything. And they, the great thing about social media is, you know, you can go on Instagram and find teenagers that post up videos before and after dairy and, and the improvement they've had in their skin. So people get encouraged by that. They don't, and they don't just see you as a doctor. They see you as someone who's truly your friend and trying to make you feel better because I've gone through it myself. I had terrible acne as a young adult and, um, and as a as a trainee in dermatology. And I would, it would be a nightmare every day to look, get up and see what was I doing wrong. And the minute I turned vegan and removed all the, you know, casein and milk solids, I, my skin cleared up in two weeks. So I, you know, I want to share that, that excitement that I've had with my skin, my own skin. So I think they sense that. Um, but, you know, I don't, I don't sort of have a strict regimen, but I do give them a smoothie recipe every time they see me uh, with, yummy goodness stuff that um, has all the nutrients that your body requires, you know, um, and they can use, have it in the morning as a breakfast. So, but long answer to your question is that if the kids are motivated, they'll do absolutely anything. The most resistance I do get is from the parents because they, they think they're bad parents if they don't provide them dairy as a source of calcium. And I just have to like change, try and see, make them aware that, what they're doing is actually not great for their kids and how can they increase their calcium intake? Yes. Changing that mindset of milk does a body good is, is really a tough thing. Mm -hmm. Do you, you know, you, you're from Australia. You grew up in Australia, correct? I did. Yeah. And your brother and your family live there. Just mm -hmm. going back to the beginning of uh, mm -hmm. how you talked about your brother being an abolitionist and having this animal rights background. Are the mm -hmm. conditions in Australia for animals similar to in the U.S. as far as factory farming and all of that? It's not as um, prominent with the CAFO system here, the um, factory farming. Uh, I mean, we have less people, so we have only 23 million people in our country. So it's not that there is a lot to feed, but um, in terms of cruelty and, and the way that animals are treated are pretty much the same worldwide. So um, yes, there's more of those concentrated animal factory operation units here um, that are mainly in sort of very rural parts of the country. But um, yeah, so, but, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because they're all treated the same, which is right. to me uh, unthinkable. And, and the reason I ask is because different people get motivated for different reasons. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes teenagers and young adults may be a little bit more motivated 
whenever they hear about that part of their food, mm -hmm. you know, like, okay, well, mm -hmm. dairy is hurting you. It's causing this inflammation in your skin. It's causing this acne you don't like, and you don't want. And this is where it comes from. And, you know, to give them a little bit more information, sometimes that's a little bit difficult in the medical setting sometimes, but um, I yeah. find that that could help some of the teenagers. They start really thinking about it. I, I, I mean, I try and be as, um, whole food plant-based in my medical setting. I don't try and be a, a, a vegan because, you know, I think it causes a lot of grief to other um, colleagues, as you might imagine. Mm -hmm. I do give them the uh, information about the four-minute video on dairy is scary. I mm -hmm. definitely, that's on YouTube. I find that really helpful to watch. And I do, I do sort of say a joke around that you know there is pus you know if you squeeze a few of your pimples that's how much pus is probably in the glass of milk that you're drinking um so it really makes them aware of <laughs> what they're doing um because i wasn't aware of this growing up i mean even in med school i was um you know watching we have these ads on tv and i think it's similar here where you know the dairy industry says you know you must have a pizza cheese glass of milk and a, a tub of yogurt every day to get your calcium source so I've said that to my patients. I've done it myself. I got gastritis as a result um, and I got terrible acne as a result. And, uh, but no one at that time, I didn't make that connection. No one told me about it. So I think the more we talk about why dairy isn't good for us, the, the better I think it will be. And I mean, we can go from any, any direction, but at the end of the day, if I'm, if I'm seeing a patient, I'm a doctor first. And I think I have to approach it from a medical point of view and not from a, a vegan point of view of, in social settings. It's a different, mm -hmm, completely mm -hmm. different. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, let's talk a little bit about skin cancer. Obviously mm -hmm. dermatologists have to be concerned about preventing and treating that. What mm -hmm. does diet have anything to do with the prevention of skin cancer and what other tips do you have so that we can keep our skin safe? Okay. So skin cancer is, um, has, there are lots of reasons why people get skin cancer. If you've got fair skin, you live in a place like Australia where the sun, where the ozone layer is not as thick as it, it should be. Um, and, or if you live close to the equator and have Caucasian skin, um, these are all risk factors for getting skin cancers. Um, but there are studies that show having a high antioxidant diet, which is mainly plant-based, well, actually it's completely plant-based, but also includes green tea, has been shown in some cases to reduce the incidence of skin cancer. You may get some, but getting another one might be reduced in terms of if you have a high antioxidant diet. And the reason why I say that is because when um, light, when sunlight damages your skin, when you get a sunburn, you generate these oxygen radicals, which are um, not good for our bodies. Um, and they can trigger off a cascade of events leading to eventually down to really damaged keratinocytes um, that will end up becoming cancerous. So one of the ways to combat these oxygen radicals is by eating a very high antioxidant diet. And antioxidants are found only in plant foods. They are not found in salmon. They're not found in any other food types, no matter how much we want to believe. And in people, um, there are certain people on Instagram that, you know, say that, eating salmon is really good for you. No, it, it doesn't have any properties that can help your body. Um, so eating lots and lots of fruit and veggies, um, legumes, beans, seeds, 
you've got you know a variety of things. So of course, eating certain fruits which are high in antioxidants like berries are much better for you, and it, it definitely helps. Um, but you know, on top of that, you definitely have to do sunscreen. There is um, the less you have sunburn, the better it is for your skin. Of course, at the end of the day. Um, there is some issues with sunscreen. People are worried about that sunscreens, the chemical sunscreens do cause skin cancer. There's absolutely no studies that show that. But I say to my parents of my patients is if you're worried, go for the pure zinc type because that is a, a, a non-chemical, it's a physical barrier. And um, yes, it, it makes your complexion a bit more white because of the thickness of the zinc, but it's the safest one to use if you're worried about those issues. And in general, what SPF do you recommend your patients wear daily? So as long as they get something that's 30 plus or more, it doesn't matter what it is. The difference between 15 and 30 is greater than if it was between 30 and 50 or even 100. So there's no role in getting something that's 100 SPF because honestly, the difference between 30 and 100 is like minimal. It's like a couple of, couple of um, percentage difference. And is it true that there's no healthy tan? There is no healthy tan. You don't want to damage your skin. Two reasons. You, you don't want to damage your skin because it increases your risk of aging. Of course, the more you um, get sunburned and the more likely you're going to get some uh, skin cancer. Um, obviously, melanoma is related to the extent of sunburn you get before the age of 18. And then the non-melanoma skin cancers such as squamous cell, basal cell occur as a result of cumulative dosing of sun exposure. Um, some argue that basal cells is also similar to melanoma, where it's the amount of sunburns you got before the age of 18, they think. Um, but you can prevent, you can, as long as you're wearing a sunscreen um, every day, I do recommend that you do get some time uh, without sunscreen on um, to get your vitamin D. So usually um, for darker skin types, you need to be outside for at least half an hour. For lighter skin types, 15 minutes. And you don't have to expose your face. You can expose um, a shoulder or backside um, where you don't get a lot of sun. Um, but you don't want to make, you want to make sure you don't go red. You just want to be in somewhere where there's gentle sunlight to get at least 15 to 20 minutes of sun exposure without sunscreen on. The importance of having sun on your skin too is it has an effect on your mood. So yes, we're not getting too much sun these days because most of us are working indoors and long hours, um, but you do need some sunlight on your skin to help your mood as well, which we know it, it's so beneficial. So, but I still will supplement with vitamin D just because we don't know um, how much sunlight you're getting where you live. And also, you know, even though it's a contentious issue in terms of what is the highest, what's the level of vitamin D we need to aim for, you still, I think, should supplement yourself until we have more studies in the future that can sort of give us a guideline of, okay, if you're a darker skin type, this is your level. And if you're um, a lighter skin type, this is your level of vitamin D. But I would say supplement yourself every day. I usually put it in my smoothie so that I've got some vitamin D coming through my diet. Yeah, I completely agree. And I live in Washington State, which is more northern. And we know that here between November 1st and April 1st, it's almost impossible to get enough vitamin D just from the sunlight. So mm -hmm. I do recommend that. And I agree too that even though I'm not 100% sold on how important is certain levels, mm -hmm. at this point, it doesn't hurt to supplement with vitamin D. So let's just make the assumption that we may need it and then see what happens in the future with the study. Exactly, when we know do a bit you, more. Do you wear sunscreen yourself every day? 
Uh, I don't wear it. I'm living in Chicago. So at the moment in winter, no, I don't wear it every day. Um, but in the summer, yes. Uh, I, I, for your viewers and um, your listeners, I'm, I'm of an Indian skin type. So I'm a darker skin type. So I need a lot of sun. So I do tend to not wear sunscreen everywhere, but definitely on my face and neck and back of my hands, because those are the signs, spots where you can notice aging. So I do try and prevent that, but I do get my sun from rest of my body. Um, and when I live in Australia, it's, I have to be very careful all the time. And so I do wear sunscreen all the time. Okay. That's great. Great to hear. You've inspired me to get back into my sunscreen regimen. Yeah, I, I get kind of lax on that because I don't like the way it feels on my face, but there I there are so many amazing products out there that you can get. Not, I wouldn't say all vegan. So um, I don't have recommendations for uh, nicer products that are, uh, cruelty-free, but there are definitely products out there that you that are incorporated in your moisturizer, um, like CeraVe has a, a nice one for the morning. And then there's the French brand called La Roche-Posay that is, um, has a really nice sunscreen that is non-greasy. So I recommend those. Great. I'm writing. You have so many wonderful tips. I'm just like busy writing all this stuff down. Maybe you should do an Instagram post on what sunscreen you use. That would be Okay. Really- I can definitely do that. So where I live, it's a high desert. It's very dry, but this is something that's bread and butter pediatrics, and that is eczema or atopic dermatitis. Yes. Can you give us your tips? Because this is just so common. And mm-hmm. um, so there's two things I want to know, two things I'm curious about. Your tips as a dermatologist to treat it, mild, mm-hmm. moderate, the mild, moderate eczema. And then second, what do you feel is the role of food sensitivities in the development of eczema? Um, I'm going to also take it further and just tell you a couple of plant-based studies um, with eczema or the, um, there is a group of diseases called atopic diseases that include um, eczema, dermatitis, asthma, and seasonal allergies or hay fever, um, as we call it in Australia. So um, there are, I mean, again, not very, not a lot of studies on eczema, but um, we definitely have a lot more studies in asthma related um, to plant-based. Um, kids that eat a very high plant-based diet, so they do incorporate, you know, the, the studies do have the kids eating a little bit of animal products, but they definitely eat most of the diet comes from plants, have shown to have decreased airway reactivity um, when it comes to asthma. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. And if we applied that same principles um, to eczema, I've definitely never seen um, anyone who's on a a healthy diet to actually have terrible skin in terms of eczema. I've definitely, um, when I see kids with severe, well, any form of eczema, but definitely moderate to severe, I find it very interesting when I ask them about their diet. It's very high in processed food, high in sugar, and high in animal protein. Um, And they get hardly any of their nutrition um, that's required from plants. So their bodies, for me, I feel like their body's crying out that they need nutrition. I've had some of my patients, adult patients, in, improve their um, 
eczema um, through removing sugar, removing um, and increasing their plants um, in the diet. And they've had improvement, even though they've been on the same treatment. So, and they felt a lot better. There is um, studies out there that show that if in animal studies, if animals eat less fiber, they get more, uh, they get worsened asthma um, as well. And we also, there's one interesting study that shows mothers that eat meat during pregnancy end up having a more likely chance of their kids having eczema when they're born. We don't, I don't understand the pathophysiology of it at this point, but I think there's something to think about in that case. When I see someone, um, a child with eczema, mild to moderate or even severe, I mean, there's a couple of things that they need to do. One is you need to have a, a short, warm bath every day. Not, not, do not delay it. Take it every day. Um, this is to hydrate the skin so that when you put the topical medications on, um, that it works well. Um, it penetrates to the skin very well because you need, when you have dry skin, you need to wet the skin for things to work on it. Um, Number two is you need to use a non-soap-free um, wash. So um, something that your dermatologist or pediatrician can definitely tell you about. But, you know, the products in, in America would be things like CeraVe, Cetaphil, Eucerin, um, Aquaphor. These are brands that have soap-free washes which have no perfume in them. They're um, uh, very mild and gentle on the, on the skin. Um, I've had patients that just use plain old glycerin or oil to wash the kids with, and that's, that's absolutely perfect. Then the second thing that I find always um, when it comes to treating eczema is the, the strength of the steroid uh, is always incorrect. The amount that the patients put on is incorrect, um, and they have this major steroid phobia. And I think that's what we usually address when we see patients is that um, sometimes the patients are given the most appropriate steroid from their PCP, but they are too scared to put it on or they haven't been shown how much to put it on. So I usually say use more than you think. You apply it like a cake frosting. Um, and, um, you know, hydrocortisone 1% is great for the face, but it's definitely not going to do anything for the body. So it's like water on the body. It's not going to have an effect. So it's very important for... Um, practicing pediatricians, uh, family physicians, and other doctors that look after eczema is to provide the right um, medication for the patient's needs and the right amount. Some patients get very tiny tubes of it and they say, well, I was only given one tube, so I presumed I had to use very little of it. And then I do address, um, you know, in Australia, the pharmacists are number one culprits for creating steroid phobia in, in patients. So they'll say, use it sparingly, don't apply, you'll thin the skin, you'll cause damage to the skin permanently. That is incorrect. There are lots of studies that have shown that using a high strength steroid cream on the body on a child has no effect on the thinning of the skin. You can get in some areas more thinning than others, um, and you can definitely get atrophy of the skin. But you have to you have to make sure that it's the appropriate cream that you're using. I've been I travel a lot and work in resource poor settings, so um, in Asia, uh, especially in India, and I find that you know patients are, they just get over the counter something like clobetazole and put it on their face. I mean that is the strongest steroid you can possibly get, and if you're putting it on your face, you'll definitely 
guaranteed to get steroid atrophy, so thinning of their skin. Um, so that is very unusual. Uh, most often that's not the case. Most often the case is the steroid phobia not putting enough on. And then the third and the final thing is using the right moisturizer. I find a lot of patients use a lotions. Um, lotions are only good if you're a hairy man, uh, not good for kids, not good for women. You need to use cream or an ointment base. Ointment when it's cold and it's really dry and creams when it's you know a bit warmer and so forth because you can put them in the fridge and cool your body down by, when you apply it. Um, and sometimes you have to put it on couple of times a day, not just once. Um, I say if, this, if the eczema is severe, you may need to put it on couple, you know, three, four times a day. Not everywhere, but just say your hands are really dry. I mean, I, I wash, as you would do as well, wash my hands so many times in a day that I have to replenish my, with my hand cream like almost 10, 15 times a day. And that's someone who doesn't have eczema on their hands. So, um, so those are the three things that I usually say, warm shower, soap-free wash, good amount of steroid cream and the appropriate steroid cream and then using a, uh, the right moisturizer and applying it generously. Oh, wonderful. Well, you've yeah. educated me too, because I probably do have a little bit of steroid phobia. I think I use the appropriate strength, but yes, the less, the better. Um, but you're saying if you're going to treat it, just treat, treat it hard. Yeah. Just hit yeah. it. And you said you, this is a doctor, doctor question, but you yeah. use creams and not ointments i usually do the steroid ointment but do you know steroid ointments are perfect that's what we want because the same so let's just say momentazone momentazone cream versus momentazone ointment the ointment increases the strength of the momentazone by a slightly higher amount so uh, which means it's going to work better it's going to be sticky on the skin so it's going to stay on the skin a bit longer but when it comes to moisturizer what i don't want people to use um, is lotions because lotions have a high water content and low oil content creams have equal amounts and then um, oily greasy ointments like vaseline aquaphor have a high amount of oil in it so those are great when you're really in a dry environment but the creams i find is consistently the better option plus when you're putting on an, uh, a medicated ointment on putting a cream on top is so much easier yeah for sure yeah wonderful tips so I tend to see a lot of babies that are exclusively breastfed that end up getting eczema. So what is your opinion on food sensitivities that may be passed down from the mother? And do you ever send these babies for testing or do elimination diets in the mamas? So um, I definitely, uh, so there's a lot of there's a lot of things to this question. Um, when a baby is being breastfed exclusively, I do talk to the mother about what she's eating um, and try and uh, get her to avoid some of the foods like egg, um, dairy, and fish if possible, cause, and peanuts um, if possible. Um, but not always because, you know, a, a lot of the times these kids just need a good amount of that regimen we talked about earlier and they improve significantly. Um, I do not like elim elimination diets in, in kids, partly because there are studies that show that if you eliminate a food group, say you eliminate, uh, say the parents want to eliminate peanuts, they, they're scared that their child might be allergic to peanuts. If you remove the peanuts from their diet, then when you reintroduce them, they're more likely to get anaphylaxis to that um, to that uh, uh, allergen to peanuts, rather than if you keep on giving them peanuts over their um, infancy. So there, so the studies now show that you shouldn't do elimination diet unless this patient is severely unwell, you know, diarrhea, failure to thrive. Um, 
having other serious illnesses requiring hospitalization. So, and I, I would definitely talk to analogists with, I wouldn't ever do anything um, on my own. I would definitely get a second opinion always when it comes to these issues. The only time I do severe, uh, send the patient off for allergy testing is if I've done absolutely everything I can do for the child when they have severe eczema, they're again failing to thrive. I've checked that they're not zinc deficient. Um, I've checked that they don't have other malabsorption conditions. Um, and, you know, we've done the best. We, the parents are doing the best they can do. We're doing wet wraps. And the child is absolutely not changing one bit. That's when I do send them off for allergy testing. But that's for very severe eczema. Um, uh, every dermatologist is different in terms of their what severity they will send them off to allergists. Uh, but most often I say to the parents, I can't, you know, even if you did a thousand testing of thousand allergens, something will come up positive, but that doesn't mean that the child's actually allergic to it truly. Um, they're just showing it up. And then you eliminate that food from their diet. When you introduce them back, they're going to end up getting a higher chance of anaphylaxis. I don't think that's a good patient care regimen. So I, I definitely say uh, don't avoid things unless severe. The things that I do tell um, for parents to do, though, is either if they're breastfeeding them or if the child's older and actually starting solids, is removing some of the acidic foods from their diet. So these also do include plant-based things, but um, they include um, strawberries, um, oranges, I find um, are the two major culprits that give you a lot of dermatitis, especially around the face. So these are um, some things that I try and tell my patients to do is eliminate those things for a while, just till they settle down and then they can introduce them later on. But they're not allergic to them. They're just, it's just aggravating their already existing eczema. Exactly. Yeah, I see that a lot, especially on the babies that are starting to eat and they love fruit, you know, and they do, they get that dermatitis around their mouth. Um, mm -hmm. But usually it's, it's not severe. So that's yes. one of those things that happens. Well, those are excellent tips. Thank you so much. I feel like I just got some CME there. So I'm going <laughs> to count that as my CME. Amazing. I want to talk about something I've been curious about. Okay. There, there are some groups that are going ultra low fat, like removing all nuts, all avocado and, you know, which, you know, it can be very healthy as well. But what is your opinion on the role of dietary fats, especially whole foods, plants, fats, and the health of our skin, the elasticity of our skin, aging. Is there any evidence there? Have you seen anything anecdotally? Um, so I think we, I kind of briefly touched on it just before was, um, I, I think eliminate having a very low fat, fat diet is not great. What we need to do is everything has to, we need to have a complete microbiotic meal. So it should include fats in it too. Fats are good for you, but not, I'm not talking about trans fats or animal fats. I'm talking about plant-based fats. I, I think those are great. Definitely moderation and more so like I don't have any moderation when it comes to eating vegetables or fruits, but when it comes to um, nuts and avocado, I do put a little bit of moderation for my own diets um, per se. Um, but some days I listen to my body and I definitely need a lot more fats than other days. Um, when it comes to um, uh, plant-based fats, there's a lot of other beneficial aspects of them. So nuts have fiber, they have minerals. Uh, a lot of nuts have magnesium, selenium, and zinc in it. These are really important when you're trying to heal your skin and give it that glow, um, especially in my acne patients who get a lot of scarring I, um, and redness. I say, you know, you need it because one of the things we do when uh, someone has a wound 
for any re any reason, um, I do supplement them with zinc because you know zinc we know helps the wound healing. So you need you need nuts in your life because they do have these added beneficial nutrients that we need in our body. Um, so it's just it's not good just to look at it as a fat. You need to look at it as a whole food. You know, it has fiber, it has minerals, vitamins, and other things as well. Um, there are studies that show um, omega-3s is really important in your diet. Our best, the Western diet in particular is very high in omega-6. It's like 20 to 1. Omega-6 to omega-3 is 20 to 1. In the olden days, it used to be 1 to 1, so very equal. When you have too much omega-6, it's called, it's pro-inflammatory. So it increases redness in your skin. It causes a lot of issues within your body. What we need to do is balance that out with having a high omega-3 level. I consider omega-3s as part of my fats um, level, even though it's not quite right. Um, and so there are studies that show that, you know, there there's a decrease in the roughness of your skin, increased integrity of the skin. There's more elasticity when you eat um, omega-3s and, and high antioxidant diet. So um, I wouldn't, so my answer would be for, for having a, a smoother, youthful um, appearance of your skin, you definitely need to have these fats on, your, on board. And you need fats also for lots of other functioning of things um, you know, a lot of things in our bodies are uh, need cholesterol, including actually your skin. So uh, one, there is a, the top layer of your skin called this um, epidermis has, uh, um, the epidermis is divided into different layers, but there is an stratum corneum, the top, absolute top layer of skin, which is what we feel with the dry flakiness. Underneath it is this um, lipid layer. It's like a membrane, um, and that's formed uh, by uh, cholesterol um, that's found within your body. So it forms this barrier, which helps to re reduce the amount of transepidermal loss of uh, water. So you, it's like a, two, it does two things. It stops water from, from leaving your skin, so you don't get dehydrated and become like a dehydrated you know, fruit, and like a prune. Um, and it, it stops, it's like a great barrier for stopping infections like viruses and bacteria that are sitting on the surface of your skin to get deeper into your epidermis. So you need cholesterol in your skin and you get cholesterol mostly from your liver, um, but you need some from your diet. Um, sorry, not cholesterol. You need some fats from your diet and they usually come from your um, avocados and, and nuts and things. But, um, but most of, I mean, at the end of the day, most of it's made in the liver. Right, because we, we're able to manufacture all the cholesterol we need. So yes. from what we're eating, that's great. And yeah. well, thank you very much for that because I did feel like I did have a time where I went ultra low fat, wasn't eating any nuts or avocado or flaxseed, and I did feel like I could see more wrinkles and my skin looked drier. So I slowly yes. started adding more. And I, I do agree with the flaxseed recommendation. I think that that can do wonders for the skin. Definitely. I my own. So. Definitely. I, I have that every day in something. So I've just formulated a new mix that I just made, which is sesame, ground up sesame, flaxseeds and pepitas, and then put it on anything. And it's delicious. So it's wonderful. As we know, sesame seeds have fat in them too, but have iron in them. So like I try and eat things that have a value to them. Oh, that's beautiful. I think we could totally live together because yeah. I made this omega-3 mix. So I put raw walnuts, raw almonds, flaxseed, chia. Then I put nutritional yeast. And 
put that all together and I put in a big jar so that I can just put one tablespoon in everything. And it just makes everything so yummy. Oh, that is and so I yummy. Know. I'm going to try that one. Dr. Yummy's omega-3 mix. So anyway, great. So we're on the same page. We can we're on the same page. Yeah. No, you have to eat, you have to eat a good, well-balanced diet. Otherwise your hair is going to be brittle and dry and not luscious like you need it to be. So exactly. <laughs> Well, speaking of food, let's talk about your juice fast. So you said that you did it because you're kind of resetting after a lot of travel. How long did you go and how did it go? Did you, do you have any insights or anything you'd I, like to share? I do. I, I was challenged by another plant-based doctor in Mexico. She is absolutely incredible. Um, and that's one of the people I went to visit. And so she's challenged me to attend a uh, juice fast. Um, I've done, I do a lot of intermittent fasting and we know the benefits of that. Um, uh, you know, especially now that the Japanese uh, Nobel Prize winner has termed the name autophagy, which is where your body repairs itself in, in times of starvation. Um, so even though I still haven't yet figured out if, if juice fasting causes autophagy, I definitely needed um, to reset my body and stop eating and, and having a different relationship to food. You know, we all need sometimes a reset. Um, and honestly, I was very scared going into it. Um, but I can tell you it was the easiest thing I've ever done because I was satisfied. I didn't have any cravings, never hungry, except for the last night where I was craving some crackers um, and a little bit hungry. But the rest of the time, I the energy I got from it was incredible. Day, th day two, I felt tired. Um, and you have to remember that I did a little, I'm, I'm, I do eat very clean. So when I came back from my holidays, I started eating just steamed veggies, rice, nothing too, not, not too much processed food. I mean, um, spices and, and, and condiments. And I also um, don't drink coffee, so I don't have the caffeine withdrawal, but I also stopped having black tea. So I, I stopped myself having a lot of these things prior to the juice fast. So I didn't have any detox symptoms apart from being really tired on day two but day three I had so much energy that I thought I could run a marathon and I'm not a runner and I was just like itching to go for a run so I it was the most incredible thing I've ever felt so this high elated energy mate that I was my mood was always happy um I you know, initially I was doing a lot of different types of juices, but in the end I was just mixing anything I found in my fridge and just juiced it out. And um, I also had a juice party at my house to show other people how fun it is to juice and, and how tasty it is when you juice your own thing and not buy anything from the store. Um, so that was, that went real, that went down really well. Um, so I think a couple of recommendations for me, if you're, if you're thinking about a juice fast, please make sure you talk to your um, doctor before you do it, because if you're diabetic, I, I would be careful about doing this, um, especially if you're putting fruits into your juices. Um, and so I, and if you've got blood pressure issues and things, I think it's important that you do talk to your um, family physician or uh, your primary care provider beforehand. Um, I would definitely recommend a week before trying to eliminate some of the things that will cause a, a detox symptom. So caffeine for sure. Um, sugar will be very hard, but I mean, I've given up sugar a year ago, so that was not too much for me. Um, uh, so definitely trying to reduce your sugar intake, reducing caffeinated, um, or, you know, sodas, basically you need to remove them from your diet, eat a very 
home-based food, you know, in terms of steamed veggies and cooked food rather than buying from outside um, because they will help you improve your success with it. I did it for 10 days and I think I could have done it even longer. Um, and ensuring that you um, have a fridge full of fruit and veggies. I mean, I went complete ballistic and bought like, I don't know, 10 pounds of carrots, 20 bunches of kale, 20 bunches of spinach. I had cilantro, I had parsley, I had tomatoes. I had, um, I had about three, I don't know, four pounds or five pounds of beets. I uh, had five pounds of limes, five pounds of lemons. I mean, I went crazy uh, because I wanted to make sure I had enough juice to last me the day and the whole 10 days. And I'm still going through my fridge and eating those things still. So it's been like, over two weeks since I finished. Um, but two things happened. I lost about seven pounds of weight, which um, was great for me because um, uh, that's something that I'm, it's an ongoing process for me in terms of my health, um, getting as fit and um, close to my ideal body weight as I would like. Uh, number two, my skin improved. I had um, very dull and I was breaking out a lot. So that improved. Um, my mood was amazing. My energy levels was through the roof. So I think those benefits were fabulous and very addictive that I'm going to be doing 10 days every month now. Wow. Yeah. That's, a de that's dedicated. Did yeah. you go through, did you use some sort of protocol or were you just basically making up recipes? Uh, well, in the end I made up recipes, but um, I bought a juicing book, um, which was okay. But Joe Cross, who did the book called Sick, um, fat, sick, and nearly dead. I think he was really good inspiration for me. Um, I didn't watch his movie first. I watched a lot of his like shows on YouTube, his interviews, and he had a few recipes on there. Like I did not know you could juice broccoli. So I ended up juicing some broccoli and it was delicious. Um, or, you know, zucchini slash squash. So there were some things that I definitely learned from him. Um, and he was my motivating um, personnel, if you, if you may say, in terms of um, going forward with it. Um, so I, I, I mean, it's in terms of medically, I mean, I still am still fine, you know, working out if, if I went through the process of autophagy or not, um, because there's some studies that show yes. And there's some people that's, you know, articles that say no. So uh, I'm not sure if I went through that process, but it's definitely helping me going towards water fasting. So my, my family does like four to 10 days water fasting. So it's something that it, it will hopefully help me end up doing that in the, in the near future. Oh yeah. And I'm very interested in intermittent fasting as well. Do you have a fasting window that you like to keep on a daily basis? Again, I listen to my body. So there are weeks where I can't fast at all. And then there are weeks where I'll eat only one meal a day. Um, so usually dinner um, because I, I need to eat before I go, to, you know, a few hours before I go to sleep. Um, and then I also have done 24 hour. Um, so 36 hour juice fast, which means for a full day, you don't eat you eat your dinner the night before you don't eat one whole day and then you eat breakfast. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and then I've done six months of five, two as well, which was where you eat 500 calories for two days in a row mm -hmm. and then eat whatever you want in the next, um, five days. And that was very good for my health as well. So, um, I think there's so many different ways of doing it. As long as you fast your body for a period of time that you're not, you know, I used to think eating, not 
eating a breakfast was terrible, terrible thing. But now I know that skipping breakfast is, it's, it's a good thing. You know, you are, your body's continues to be fasting. Even if you eat lunch, you're, you're fasting for 16 hours, which, you know, your body needs. Um, and we're finding the benefits of fasting more and more now. Um, and we are like, you know, if we put it in perspective, we're the first people in history of life where we eat more than three meals a day. There, even till the Great Depression, people weren't eating three meals a day. They were fasting a lot of the times you know because they couldn't get food so you know a hundred years ago people were people the concept of eating three meals a day was not there and uh, now we're overdoing it we have food abundance and we don't give our bodies rest yes and i think that that's been propagated by this myth that we need to be constantly eating to keep mm-hmm. a high metabolism so some people are eating right up until they go to bed and as soon as they get up they're eating so they're not having that fast overnight that's very long Mm -hmm. so what i recommend people start with is just try to go 12 hours in between dinner and breakfast just try to get that 12 hour window at at minimum and then you can play around with either shifting your breakfast later or shifting your dinner earlier and, Mm -hmm. and slightly increasing that window where your time has that your body has that time to clean yes. up and, um, you know, it makes it. And, and what I, people always say to me, Oh, but you have great willpower. No, I don't. I think it's just habit. Once you start doing it, it becomes, you feel so good that you want to keep doing it. And, and it's not that I started with doing, you know, two days of water fasting. I had to start with doing, you know, skipping my breakfast and having lunch and dinner and then skipping my lunch and then having one meal a day and then, you know, skipping that too. So it's, it's, um, it's a, it's a work in progress and you can't do because you can't do it on the first time. Doesn't mean you can't ever do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Awesome. I love hearing that. What is your favorite meal? My favorite meal of the day or just a favorite meal that I and like any eating? Favorite meal. Yeah. What would be the thing that you would, if you had the last meal request, what would that be? <laughs> Anything Asian. So it could be uh, sushi, ramen, if it's healthy. Um, I absolutely love Korean uh, food. So like, um, the, I can never say it right. It's bibimbap or something. Mm-hmm. I love those bowls. Um, or um, what else do I like? I like Thai food. Um, so any, and Vietnamese pho. So pho is like, I could eat that any time of the day or night. So definitely a pho, I would say. <laughs> Wonderful. Do you make it yourself at home? I haven't actually made for at home by myself yet, but it's something that I'm planning to do. Um, I love, I love, you know, I'll have a mission sometimes in a week that I'll be like, okay, today I'm going to learn how to make this. So um, yeah, so it's definitely on my list of things to, to make. Um, so I'll let you know, I'll put it on my Instagram. Yeah. So I was going to say, I look forward to seeing it on your Instagram and I will be hungry. (laughs) What do I'll you invite do? you over. Oh, thank you. Just give me a few hours notice. Okay. <laughs> travel across the country. So Absolutely. what do you do for exercise? What's your favorite way to get physical activity in? Um, so no one's perfect. And I'm certainly not very perfect when it comes to exercise. Um, so I tend to do a variety of things. And I'm trying to go on a challenge so that I can do daily exercise. I probably get in about four days a week. I do yoga mainly. And then I do a bit of cardio with weights um, the other days. And I'm also um, trying to in, uh, get into swimming. So I'm going to go swimming after this interview. Um, so I, I can't do the same thing every day. Um, so I have to do something different. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
Um, I definitely do a lot of yoga when it comes to my body because it needs it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do incidental exercise. I try not take elevators. I try and um, walk up and down stairs. I uh, will walk to work. Um, I, you know, try and try and just incidentally increase. And when the weather gets better, I will not be walk. I will not be taking public transport anywhere. It'll be walking, even if it's an hour or bike riding. Um, so I try and meet up friends in places where I can bike ride or, you know, so I try and, um, in, I'm not the, I'm not a gym junkie and I'm, you know, nowhere near it. Um, so I, I wouldn't say to everyone that I'm great at it. I eat very healthy, um, for sure. But when it comes to exercise, I'm not the best at it. Um, but that's okay. Like, I think we're all working to Im- improve ourselves and I've definitely improved significantly over the last few years. So, um, it's definitely something that I'm, I'm still not proud of it to a point where I can rec- I can say, this is what I do and, uh, and everyone should do what I do. Yeah. So, well, and we know from studies of the blue zones, the longest lived people in the world that they don't go to gyms. They do yes, exactly right. what you do. They run after their sheep. They herd their sheep. They go up and down hills. They walk all day. They walk everywhere. They do their errands. So that in some ways may be even healthier because you're probably overall getting more steps throughout the day than someone that's like, okay, I'm going to get my workout in, go to the gym for 30, 45 minutes, and then I'm going to sit all the rest of the day. So yes. I think too is mindset. So I'm going to challenge you okay. to change your mindset on that one. Cause I think that you're doing Perfect. a lot of exercise. But speaking <laughs> of habits, what personal habit are you most proud of? How did you achieve it and how do you maintain it? Um, so the story is that I was very overweight. I, I was overweight when I was 18 years old. I was a BMI of close to 28, 29. And then when I, um, actually turned vegan, but I was sitting for my exams, I also was, you know, uh, put on a lot of weight. I think I put on about, um, close to 30 pounds. And so both times of my life, I've had to then reset my mindset. Um, and now it's become so much easier. But the, the thing that I'm proud of the most is how I eat. I eat super healthy. I listen to my body. I can't eat junk food. I can't eat, you know, I don't drink soda because I just can't stand it. I can't eat sugar because it tastes so fake to me in my mouth. Um, so I'm really proud of my sugar detox, my coffee detox, my junk food detox um, to a point now where it's not even something I need to contend with. I do not utilize my willpower at all. Uh, we know that your willpower is such a malleable and it's you know limited per day. I never utilize it for, for food because I eat things that make me feel good, you know, not because they're going to give me a short-term sugar rise and make me feel like comfortable, like have comfort, you know, and then suddenly I'll feel terrible after that. I've know that feeling I've had it before and I can never go back to that, that kind of lifestyle again. So, um, it's been a long work in progress, but I've got to a point now where I'm so proud of myself that I can, I will refuse to eat with people if it's not good for me. Like I will say, no, I'm not putting that in my body because it's, it's not good. 
Wow, that's so inspirational. And I love how you pointed out that it's not difficult. Once you get to the point where you anchor those feelings for how something feels in your body, how it's going to make you feel during or after you ingest it, it doesn't become a struggle. It's just like, oh, no, no I don't really want to feel that way. So thank no. you for pointing that out. That's just beautiful. And I just want to profess my love to you, Dr. Niyapi. Oh. You're amazing. I'm a little bit in love. Oh, no. <laughs> Final question. What motivates you to do the work that you do? I love food. I've always been a foodie uh, since I can't remember, even when I was overweight. I mean, food was something that's so part of my family, my culture. Um, in Australia, we have, um, if you ever want to travel to Australia, it's got the best food ever in the world, I think. I mean, I'm definitely biased. Um, and so for me, it's such a, this love that just comes through I can't help it I mean I love cooking I love feeding people I love everything about it and I've been so fortunate that having um, medicine and incorporating that into my love of food and showing people that I can make a brownie that's out of sweet potato and it tastes no different to something that has sugar in it um, has been the most incredible journey for me. So I hope that people, when they see my Instagram and hopefully in the near future, we're going to start a, a YouTube series of cooking uh, with another plant-based doctor that um, I can show people that cooking is really easy. It's amazing when you cook something, create it on your own. It can be terrible. I've never, you know, it's not like I create always yummy foods. There are times when it's a disaster, um, but how medicine comes from food and at the end of the day what you put in your mouth determines what your life is going to be in the future and i say this to my patients and i want to say it now is that treat your body like a bank invest in it today so it gives you returns in the future oh that's brilliant <laughs> wonderful i love it how can listeners connect with you um so the best way till now is actually through instagram so i'm dr underscore vegan so dr underscore vegan um and you'll find my page so please um follow me and ask me any questions i do my best to answer questions um and that's the easiest way to contact me awesome dr niyati sharma thank you so thank much you. that was a Beautiful conversation. That was just like super high yield for me. And I know my listeners will appreciate it. I hope that I can have you on again in the future. Ooh, I'd love Maybe to. Some collaborations together. I would I love that. When I start my salad challenge in April, Ooh. maybe you can participate in that too. But I will be on your challenge. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Well, I really appreciate your generous time today. Have a wonderful and plantastic day. Oh, amazing. Thank you so much for having me on your show. <laughs> I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I look forward to having you back again next week. A very special thank you to the band Rocket Surgeons for permission to use the broccoli song. To find out more about the Rocket Surgeons, please visit their website at rocketsurgeonsband.com or Facebook at facebook.com forward slash rocketsurgeonsmusic. Also, for more information on my work, you can find me at facebook.com forward slash veggiefitkids, or you can email me at veggiedoctor, V-E-G-G-I-E-D-O-C-T-O-R, at veggiefitkids.com. 
Sharing is caring. Please share, rate, and review my podcast and contact me if you have ideas for future episodes. Thank you once again and have a plantastic day. We're having broccoli. credit card bill.